The Florida Gators kick off this season out in Salt Lake City. Unfortunately, coming up short, 24-11. Today on the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, we recap everything that happened out in Utah, what went right, what went wrong, and what we have to look forward to for the rest of the season. This is the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Welcome in to another episode of the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. I am your host, Chris Yanes, alongside my co-host, Neil Shulman. And we are here now, a couple days removed from a tough loss out in Salt Lake City, Utah, to recap it all and to see where the Gators program goes from here. As this coming Saturday, we are back home in the swamp against McNeese. Tough loss, guys. No doubt about it. This is not the start we wanted. Everybody here on this podcast predicted that Florida would walk away with a victory. We have been hearing so many good things out of fall camp. And, you know, some of it did we, – we saw a little bit of it in this game, and we'll, and we'll touch on that. But we didn't get the win, and it was execution. Execution is the key word. Execution is what we heard today earlier in Billy Napier's press conference back in Gainesville. And execution is going to be the theme going forward and whether or not this team is anything successful and makes progress from what we saw in 2022. But we'll get right into it. So this game started out Utah, Florida got the ball first, quick three and out. And then Utah struck early, a deep ball from Bryson Barnes down the sideline, a huge busted coverage by our safeties there. R.J. Mott was caught sleeping on that one, and the Gators were down 7-0. Florida did recover. They actually were able to drive down the field, and that was kind of the, the common theme in this game. Florida was able to drive down the field multiple times, but only came up with 11 points in five trips down inside the 25-yard line. But they were able to get a field goal, and it looked like they actually were about to take the lead midway through the first half, starting to basically recover from a quick start from Utah. But that's when the wheels really fell off and the momentum swung in the game. Florida on a third and long credit to Graham Mertz showed a lot of guts out there on this play, diving for that first down, took a massive hit. The ball was jarred loose. It came up a yard short of the first down. So Florida does line up fourth and one. You got to feel good about Florida getting a one yard to go in that situation. But unfortunately, transfer Damon George false starts. It was, I believe, one of two or three false starts for him on the night that put Florida back five yards. They had to kick the field goal. And then Adam Mahalik missed a chip shot field goal after making one just earlier. A few drives before Florida now down 7-3. Utah goes down the field. Florida gets a stop. And that is probably one of the biggest blunders in school history may happen where Florida was caught with two number threes on the field that gave Utah a fresh set of downs. They went down and scored to go up 14-3 and Florida just really could not recover from that point for the rest of the game. They went down 14-3. They weren't able to do anything on offense. And then Utah was able to go up a full 17-3 by the break. And then, of course, coming out of the second half, Florida fielded another punt inside the the, the five-yard line, giving them the short field, and they took advantage after a Graham Mertz interception. They went down 24-3, and at that point, Florida fans saw the writing on the wall. We were able to drive multiple times in the second half down inside the 25-yard line, but only came up with one score and one two-point conversion on an impressive Caleb Douglas snag from Graham Mertz. But Florida ultimately fell in this game 24-11, you know, Neil, this is what I'm going to bring you in now. That was that was a quick little synopsis recap. I think it kind of encapsulated the night. 
But go ahead. Let's give me your quick uh, takeaways and then we'll get into some some things we saw that were good and some things we saw that were bad. Well, we want to start with things that are good. Uh, Florida outgamed Utah. I mean, that that's a win, right? If we're, Dan Mullen was happy about that. I was going to say, like, if we're still talking Dan Mullen terms, that's a victory for the Florida Gators. I mean, look, it, we all know what happened. It was it was ugly. It was grotesque at times. The Florida Gators did get the better of the play. It seemed like in a large percentage of the game, and yet there they are two scores down as the final whistle is is blown. And, I mean, look, dude, we both know we've been saying in all offseason the Florida Gators have to make improvements. Billy Napier has to do X, Y, Z. Yes, the incoming group of players is going to have something to do with that, but there have to be some things he has to do better. If he's going to be his own play caller, he's got to show some improvement in that area. If he's going to insist on not having an on-staff like a real special teams coach, not just someone he calls a game changer coordinator, but a real paid position for that on the field to do that. Well, you better show some improvement there. And that's going to be part of the theme we'll talk about today. And if it doesn't improve the rest of the season, that if Napier is going to be this unconventional guy, if he's going to do things his way, he better show some success with it. Because if he doesn't, it's going to hasten the nastiness that the fans are going to probably feel towards him as the season goes along. Yeah, well, and, you know, on the note of if Billy Napier is going to be his own play caller, if he's going to coach quarterbacks, if he's going to take this on, it's important to know there are plenty of coaches around the country that do that. Lincoln Riley, Lane Kiffin, Steve Spurrier did it back here in the 90s at Florida. It happens. Coaches can successfully do it, but it is there is a lot to be said about being a CEO, a great recruiter, running a program, and then taking on the coaching quarterbacks, calling plays, and having to make decisions in-game, that sometimes it is too much. You're maxed out, and you have to then delegate and trust people to take other responsibilities on. So if he's going to insist on doing that, there's going to have to be, I think, and that's really what Gator fans want to start, I think, seeing are results from it. Because right now, the results are he's made some questionable in-game decisions. You've talked about that in the past and some of the game decisions last year. It reared its ugly head again in this game, especially in some late game play calling. I, th- I think the biggest head scratcher was on the fourth and uh, in- short, the fake pitch shovel pass then to Dante Zanders that resulted in a, a stuff at the line of scrimmage. And then on fourth, about and, the 14, fourth and 14th screen. Yeah, there you go. About I mean, to get we to know that. it like these things are at the tips of our tongue, Chris. We all know these things should play out a certain way. We know them before they happen. They're on the tips of our tongues from the second it happens to now. And there's just not any sign of improvement from Napier from last year to this year in that area. So yeah, there's going to be frustration from me, from the fan base. I'm sure at some point you'll hit your frustration limit. And it's just like, I, I want to defend Napier. I really do, but he's got to start showing some improvement in these areas. Totally. I know. I agree. And I, and, and, it starts obviously with a game this week at home against McNeese and an, a, a completely inferior opponent that Florida should dominate in every phase of the game. There should be no issues. We should be going three deep in our roster. And, and But the big thing is going to be obviously in two weeks, can this get corrected in time for a major SEC matchup against Tennessee at home? But let's let's get let's get into the uh, let's get into the to the to the positives first. We'll talk about the positives. We'll get into the negatives and then we'll talk about kind of where we go from here. So positives from the game. Neil, I thought Graham Mertz played really well. And I know that Graham Mertz 
a lot of his passes were, you know, he threw for 333 yards. He had one touchdown. He did throw the interception. I think a lot of us can say that that interception was maybe half on him, half on Ricky Pearsall. Like it was clear that ball was thrown a little too early. Ricky Pearsall was not expecting that slant at that moment in time. And that ball needed to be just a little bit later. And it could have honestly gone for a first down if it had completed on time. But overall, I thought Graham Mertz played really well. He's not the reason why Florida lost this game. He actually kept Florida kind of in the game with some of those little drives that got down inside the 25-yard line. It just Florida stalled out at, at that point with some really tough penalties and some questionable play calling by the coaches. So I don't think Graham Mertz played bad, and I think this shows that Graham Mertz can definitely win Florida some games this season, especially against, I think, at least average run-of-the-mill SEC teams. I'm not so sure he's going to light the scoreboard up against a Georgia or an LSU or even a don you know we saw Florida State last night their defense there but he definitely is a quarterback that I think can put some numbers up against some average to inferior defenses and win games for the Gators this season I mean that's what we've talked about all offseason right like forget Georgia forget LSU forget Alabama it's the old Greg McElroy quote from when Dan Mullen first took the job in 2018 it still rings true today don't worry about those teams you have a losing record against Kentucky in the last five. South Carolina embarrassed you the last time you went to Columbia. The other Columbia is, has been a problem for the Florida Gators, and now Vanderbilt has beaten you the last time you played them. Worry about those teams. So to anyone thinking, well, I want to beat FSU. I, I Why can't we go to LSU and win that game? I want to be competitive in the cocktail party against Georgia. You know, we're just not there yet. We're just not there as a program right now. We can't worry about that. I'm more worried. I mean, right now we beat Tennessee. That's a huge victory. They didn't look fantastic, but they look competent against Virginia, who's granted a terrible team, but they looked better than we did in their first game. So we got to start worrying about those levels of opponents. And I do think that, as you said, to your point, Graham Mertz is a quarterback that can win us that kind of game. The issue is, and we'll talk about negatives in a minute, it's the other parts of the field, but as far as Mertz goes, he is a perfectly adequate quarterback for the Florida Gators for what the rest of the team, I think, can reasonably shoot for this year in terms of an 8-4 and four at best, a 9-3 and three season. That's the kind of thing pie in the sky now. But 8-4 and four would be a perfectly good season for the Gators, and I think he's perfectly capable of getting us there. And on that point, the guys who were catching his passes. Talk positives. How about Trey Wilson? Showing up, making some plays. He's explosive in the open field. Uh, Ricky Pearsall, I, I don't know that I really blame him for that interception. That, that probably is like 80-20, maybe 90-10 on merch. But Pearsall led the Gators in receiving. Um, Caleb Douglas with that angry, uh, aggressive catch. You hit that button in Madden, like the X for like aggressive reception. Like he, he hit that button. He, he went lost that dude. Completely mossed him in the Mossed him. Absolutely. Reminiscent of that Texas A&M catch he had last year. We boxed out his defender and pulled that ball down. He can be a good pass catcher for the Florida Gators. And so the Florida passing game, if the offensive line gets better, which we'll talk about in a second, but the Florida passing game can be something I don't want to say special, but it can be very good. And that might be all we can expect anything to be for the Gators this year. I think it's going to show a lot of improvement as the year goes on. There's a lot of potential with this room. Eugene Wilson, you talked about it. He was just absolutely explosive in open field. They've got to have some get it to him plays in this offense. And I and I do think you'll see more and more involvement with him as the season goes on. I was like you said, I I, I think Caleb Douglas played incredibly well. Marcus Burke played incredibly well. Marcus Burke had a great catch down the sideline early in the game that got the offense going. He had two catches for over 60 yards. 
Ricky Pearsall, almost 100 yards. This is a this is a group that is going to be good for Graham Mertz, for this offense. I think that this receiver room, ultimately, when it's all said and done, has the potential to be even better than people realize. We said before the season, it's an unproven group. It needed some some game action to, to see what it could really do. Small sample size, but they showed a lot of potential in game one. I look for them to obviously improve a lot over the next week. And then when they play Tennessee, you know, I think there's an opportunity there in that, in that secondary that showed a lot of weaknesses uh, over the last two years to, to really make some plays at home. We'll have to see, but yeah. So, you know, positives there. I also think that let's move to the defensive side there. The defense played very well. Now I understand they gave up 24 points, but a lot of that was on the special team. You, you gave up a touchdown on the special teams error with the two numbers. You spotted them an 11 yard field on the interception. That's a 14-point swing right there. And that's really the game. If you if you really want to think about it, that that was the game at that point. But the defense only gave it 38 yards of total offense in the second half to Utah. Really impressive showing by them. They didn't get a sack in this game, but they definitely got some pressure. You know, Bryson Barnes is a very mobile quarterback. He was able to get out, and that's I think had a lot to do with the fact that Florida wasn't able to get to him. But let's say that Florida plays more of those pure pocket passers later in the season. Uh, like a Leary from Kentucky or a Cook from Missouri. I mean, they even got the Spencer Rattler last year when they played him at home. There's going to be opportunities for Florida to get to the quarterback, I think, with this front uh, four unit. And, you know, the other one is Samar James is maybe one of the best linebackers in the SEC. That guy did not miss a tackle. I didn't see one tackle that he missed. Like when when there was a guy within five yards of him, he was absolutely just crushed. The next step he took. I mean, he is flying to the ball. You know, there's a lot of potential there. I thought the DBs, let's say the outside DBs played well. Devin Moore, uh, Jason Marshall, he got beat over the top. But RJ Martin is supposed to have that protection on the deep ball. That was more on the safety in that situation than it was on Marshall. Marshall, you know, has got to, he's counting on his teammate to cover him there in that situation. The safeties to me are the biggest concern on the defense. We talked about it earlier in the season. There's a lot of unproven guys there. We're starting a lot of young guys. I, I was I was less than impressed, to be honest. And they're going to have to show some improvement as the year goes along. I think I'm thankful that we have uh, the DBU guru that's coaching these guys now. But we're going to need to see some some major improvement in this room. If 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 we're gonna not give up big plays, because you look at Tennessee, Tennessee could absolutely light us up. You got a quarterback for them in, in Milton that can throw the ball eighty yards downfield on a dart. So I mean that that's the biggest thing. But overall, defense I thought played much better than they did last year. I mean we only gave up two hundred and seventy some odd yards of offense last year. We gave over four hundred in the swamp. I think there's some improvement there, but. We'll have to see as the year goes along and they get tested by some more explosive offenses like a Tennessee in two weeks. Well, before we before we're going to sing the defense's praises too much, the first play of the game was awful. 70-yard uh, touchdown. I mean, Chris, you know I'm the pessimist of the pod, so you know this is coming. But, yeah, that, that was bad. That also wasn't Utah's A-team. Let's be real with ourselves. That's their third-string quarterback, who, granted, does have some experience, <clears throat> but – Again, third string QB, they're missing their problematic weapon of a tight end in Brent Keithy. They're having issues on their offensive line that they didn't have last year. They had to replace a couple of guys. Um, I mean, they just they didn't have 40% of their statistical production 
on the field that they're going to have later this year. They're missing eight or eight and a half or nine starters, depending on how they line up on defense. If they have extra linebackers or shapers or whatever, you could be eight or nine guys at their starting lineup that were missing from this game, including junior Tafuna on their defense. Um, who's probably their best defensive player. So whatever we're going to say about this game, good or bad, I feel like for offense and defense-wise, we should point out this was not the best of the Utah Utes. Now, to the, the defense that we're talking about, the Florida Gators, first play obviously wasn't great. I thought from that point on they did lock down with the exception of the Nate Johnson touchdown run. We'll talk about that in a minute. But – Two plays, Chris. I mean, two plays that you can look at in the film and go, yeah, that's pretty bad. The rest of the night was pretty good. They racked up a lot of positive tape on that defense aside from those two plays. Shamar James, as you mentioned, just absolutely everywhere. He had 13 tackles leading the team. He had two of them for loss, I think. Jordan Castell, a true freshman at safety. We talked about him. Wow, safety is going to have a true freshman starting. Are we sure he's ready? Well, second on the team with seven tackles, four of them solo. He looked like he knew what he was doing. He wasn't responsible for any busts or breakdowns or anything like that. Miguel Mitchell, you know, if you, if you read that culture piece I worked on this summer, he had a, a sort of a of a leading role within the defense, both on and off the field. He's the guy that went up to an upperclassman and motivated him like, Hey, come on, man. I know you have more to give than that. He's taken that leadership role and he's shown it on the field leading by example. He has four tackles, two of them by all by himself also broke up a pass. So we're seeing new faces on this defense, stepping up and, and playing well. I mean, Taraja Mitchell, another one, TJ Searcy, another one. We've seen a lot of new guys in this defense, stepping into bigger roles, or just roles, period, that they didn't have last year, and they're doing very well. So that's encouraging to me, and the more the season goes on, the more they play with each other, the more I think that they're going to put up some good tape. Yeah, I, I think the sample size is small right now, but the more and more we'll see, the more we're going to be impressed. I think at this point, uh, there you know, there are a lot of fans, because I did see some impressive things from the freshmen and the younger, or the underclassmen, you're going to want to see more of them and I, more in-game experiences, everything they need. This is still a building year. This is still a building time in the program, but it's good to see that they're already taking on those responsibilities of leadership and leading by example and flashing and making plays on the field. Like they, you're right. TJ Cersei flashed on tape. Kelby Collins flashed on tape. There's opportunities for freshmen to continue to make a difference on this roster this year. And going to caution the fans with that. When you have freshmen, there's growing pains. Trey Wilson played a great game, but he also made two really critical errors fielding punts, and then he didn't field punts the rest of the night, right? He he ha he fielded two punts inside the five-yard line. That is a no-no. You never do that. You put your heels at the 10, and you, you let the ball fly over your head. And I understand he's a playmaker. He wants to make a play. Good for him. But at the end of the day, that cost Florida points. And it, even, you know, at best, it was going to cost Florida field position. Which is that can still cost Florida points down the line. It it Florida it did has, it, it I did. mean well I'm because, saying in this situation Graham Mertz cost. was forced back in his own end zone had to throw a ball Correct. he wouldn't have ordinarily thrown. Correct. No, no, I'm I'm 100 with you. I'm just saying that like it, let's say that they don't even score any points. Field position is another issue that takes you sure. the ability gotcha. away from going down the field and scoring easier too. So no, I I but that's just saying you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you're going to play freshman, if you're going to have a really young team you're going to have to accept the fact that there's going to be some some growing pains. And that is an example of a growing pain. When I saw him field that punt, I'm like, 
damn, that that's a freshman mistake right there. Guarantee he doesn't do it again, especially after getting benched the rest of the game and being taken away that a privilege to return punts. But Billy Napier still showed the ability to want to trust him later in the game because he was the reason why Florida got that two point conversion. And then he also made play. He still had, uh, I believe, what over 33 yard around 33 yards, almost 40 yards of total offense on the night. He, he's going to make plays, and and that was only his first game action, and I expect his role to grow more in the offense because it's just impossible to to not want him to to play. But Neil, let's let's get to the let's get to the cons now, and this is this part where I think uh, maybe a therapy session, just you know, just to let it all out there. Cons, yeah, it's pretty obvious that execution, coaching were two of the big things execution in critical situations, false start penalties at critical points in the game when the game's on the line and then some rather poor play calling at also big moments of the game. And then of course, special teams, they just don't exist at the university of Florida anymore when that used to be our pride and joy. So Neil, let, let's hear from you. What are your cons? Uh, and we'll, we'll, tr- we'll try to keep it short and sweet and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk through it. First of all, I want to address. Did you say you've been in to go throw the baby out with the bathwater? You've never, <laughs> I've heard, never that heard that. You've no. never heard that. Yeah, no, that, maybe I would have remembered our, that. Some some of our listeners hopefully will will know the the old idiom or whatever you call it. But yeah, I mean that's yeah, it's a, it's it's an amusing one. Um, yeah. Okay, so here's here here's my issue with the with the cons, and and I, I thought long and hard about how I wanted to frame this. So quick little anecdotal piece right here. All right. It was at my parents' house, New Jersey, for a wedding this weekend. Flew home this morning, Newark to Charleston, ran right down the Atlantic coastline, over all the beaches along the way, Jersey Shore, Ocean City, Maryland, Virginia Beach, North Carolina, Myrtle Beach, whatever. Tons of people there. And it got me thinking, here's my question. Let's say you just you ping the phones or you you go up with a camera and you stop a hundred or a thousand of those people on those beaches at random. Any demographic, 80-year-old man, a four-year-old boy, whatever, anyone over the age of toddler who understands the game of football, just random people enjoying the beach. And you walk up to them and you go, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am, in the game of football, are you allowed to have two guys with the same jersey number on the field at the same time? You know, in the game of football, they let you use 11 guys on defense nowadays, right? So what do you think about lining up for a play with eight guys? You're down multiple scores late in the football game. You have the ball. Do you think your offense should A, move quickly in between plays, or B, take its sweet time moving to the line of scrimmage? Unless they think that I'm just trying to prank them and they give me like a sarcastic answer just for that purpose, every single one of them is going to answer with the precise opposite of what Florida actually did. No, you can't have two guys with the same jersey on the field at once. No, you shouldn't just line up with eight players. Yes, move your ass to the line of scrimmage and get the snap off as fast as possible. And they're not alone. These people you pick at random are joining the Gator fan base who were screaming at the TV, move, move. You're down multiple scores. Let's go, let's go. What is this play call on fourth and 14? You're throwing a screen five yards behind the line of scrimmage to Caleb Douglas, who has two blockers in front of him and has to run a gauntlet of seven Utah jerseys to get now 19 yards because 14 yards plus the five yards behind the line that he caught the ball at, which he didn't even catch. But putting that aside, 
These are things that the entire fan base plus any other onlooker would know that Florida should have done differently than they did. That is the frustration. It is not that Florida lost. It's not even that Florida didn't execute. Guess what? Guys are going to miss tackles. They're going to attack the wrong hip. They're going to flip their hips the wrong way in coverage. They're just going to miss. They're going to make mistakes. It's not that. It is the coaching Error after error after error that killed the Florida Gators that is avoidable, that you should have spent this entire offseason preparing yourself to not screw up. And you did exactly that again and again. So look, as I said a minute ago, if you're going to be unconventional, you're going to be your own play caller, you're not going to have a special teams coach, you're going to try to outsmart everyone with these with these eye-popping play calls like the shovel pass to Dante Sanders in the screen on 4th and 14, you better start showing some success. Otherwise, Chris, changes are going to have to come. Yeah, changes definitely are going to have to come, and I think changes are going to have to come regardless of whatever we're thinking now. I mean, it, it's clear that they have to do something to get these guys to execute at a higher level. You cannot fall start at a critical point. And one of the things in, in Billy Napier has taken an onslaught from the fan base. And I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm an apologist for him right now, if that's what you want to call it. But he did say something that kind of perturbed me a little bit in the post game. He said that the crowd was a factor. Well, if that crowd who would rank the second lowest in the SEC was a factor, boy, do you got some problems because you're going to Death Valley in November. Uh, Missouri has a higher capacity than you. Uh, Kentucky has a higher capacity than you. You play in the swamp where even when you're on offense, it's still loud. <laughs> you know, crowds shouldn't have been a factor at a 52,000 capacity stadium. That's did you hear Princely's? Did you see Princely's Instagram story? The last yeah. stadium, it should the last happened. stadium. I mean, right. And, and, and on that note, too, look, if you're going to talk shit, you better back it up. Okay. You better back it up on the field. Princely didn't even show up in the stat sheet. He got the number one jersey. He got the number one jersey. You got to show it. I love Princely. He's made some great plays, but when you're going to make, con- if you're going to trash talk, you better back it up. Well, I mean, hey, he I- did. Sh- he did show up on tape on the Nate Johnson touchdown run, just jogging lackadaisically after him instead of giving his full speed. And then, and to that point, Chris, sorry, I, I just intercepted your train of thought, but look, that's two games in a row now where Princely has been caught on the tape, giving clearly less than 100% effort against a Pac-12 opponent that, at least on paper, Florida is more talented than. So, again, I'm a fan of Princely. I want to see him succeed. But, my dude, if you're going to if you're gonna do that, you got to back it up. And, and we're saying this as we think this could be a money year for him. He could be playing in the NFL next year or going to pro, thinking about going entering the draft. That's going to show up. In draft interviews, that's going to show up on tape when you've got scouts and and owners and GMs evaluating whether or not who they're going to take as their next pass rusher for their defense in the NFL. Guarantee you there's guys that are going to be hustling out there that are going to want it more. So he's going to have to play a lot better in this in, in the rest of the season. And look, if you're going to post on your story and making fun of people, you just better back it up on the field. That's all I'm going to say in regard to that. But other cons for me, offensive line. You know, we talked about it with Allie. You know, and we we felt that this could be a, a position of strength for the Gators. It wasn't, and I'm not sure if King, losing Kingsley Ogukan really hurt us here, but it, it may have. 
Jake Slaughter looked lost out there. He just clearly there's a big drop off between one and two at the center position. Damon George, Damian George, I, I I felt I was hoping for more out of him. And just outside of the whole false start penalties, which is a separate issue, he just didn't look like he was holding down that side of the line. Austin Barber looked fine. He looked good. I, I definitely think he's the best offensive lineman probably on that unit right now, then followed by Maskua. But outside of that, that the line just did not look like it was blocking cohesively. And maybe they need their leader back there at center next week, or at least by Tennessee, and things change. But they're going to play some tough, much tougher defenses. And they're going to chew up that offensive line and spit it out. And I know we hyped up the 333 yards from Graham Mertz, but that was because we were playing behind the eight ball. We were down, and we had 13 yards of rushing, too, which is abysmal. You cannot have 13 yards of rushing and expect to win any football game on the planet doesn't matter high school all the way up to professional like 13 yards isn't going to cut it nine times out of 10. So they have got to block. You've got two stable running backs back there in ETN and Johnson. And they were footnotes in this game. They just, they didn't, they didn't even show up hardly in the stat sheet, 13 yards of, of rushing. And I understand some of that was sacks or five sacks on Graham Mertz, which is another issue too, but Offensive line's got to play better, and I'm, I'm hoping it's just it was an issue with Kingsley. But if this is something that continues to show up, it's going to be a long season. I mean, and and that just goes to show too that we said before injuries cannot happen if Florida is to remain competitive this year on the offensive line. We already had an injury in game one. We thought Kingsley was going to be good to go for this game. We found out right a couple hours before kickoff he was not, and it it showed in this game what what it means to live without him there. So Florida's going to have to figure that out. Big time, big time. If if they're going to be able to compete, and 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 I will say, you know, we we did Tennessee started slow on offense. They did score forty nine points, which on you know on any day would have been a great day for any team in America. Uh, and we we did say that their their DBs were weak, but their defensive line looked really good against Virginia, and that that concerns me. Oh, get that matchup in two weeks in the swamp is that defensive line could cause a lot of havoc and problems for Graham Mertz once again. And when he's under duress, that's when he tends to make mistakes as history will tell us the other thing that i'll say too on the in the defense and i mentioned it earlier but safeties safeties especially in run support was bad they they, they did not come up and help especially when the quarterback broke contain it it, it just looked bad on film and it, i maybe miguel mitchell probably was the best one out of the bunch that played uh i think castell played well devin moore's a corner um Oh, you're talking all. Oh, just yeah, I'm talking say just okay, the safety not position. Just, okay, my bad, my bad. Yeah, I think. I mean, Castell played all right as a freshman. He actually almost had an interception in this game. There were a couple. There were two moments in the game where Florida probably should have had an interception. There was that one, and then there was the one early in the in the uh, in the second half when Devin Moore, who should play a lot more, he needs more snaps. I don't know why he's not starting. To be honest, he may honestly be the best corner on the team at this present time, which is crazy to think, but. Uh, Florida just safety position has been a weak point for a long time now. And until it gets fixed, I think Florida is going to get exposed on the back end a lot, especially if Austin Armstrong is going to play an aggressive havoc defense with going after the quarterback. Well, that, that was my point too. How aggressive does Austin Armstrong want to be? Because if the safeties are going to be this kind of, Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not, because they did They did put out some good game film. They also put out some bad game film, most notably on the first play of the game. How aggressive does he want to be if your safeties don't improve quick? Because, they, like as you said, they don't have a year to develop and grow and learn slowly. No, you got to 
essentially you have your season coming up next Saturday against the Tennessee Volunteers. So you got to be ready to deploy the the defensive scheme that's going to save your season, or at least if it fails, well, you failed with the preferred method of defense out there. So I want to see exactly what that defense looks like from a, a level of aggression standpoint on a scale from one to 10 next week against Tennessee. But other thing that perturbed me, I mean, you mentioned Damian George's false starts, just nine penalties on the whole. George was responsible for three of them. He had a holding as well as the two false starts, but I mean, the, the double Jersey one, just inexcusable and, and, and disgusting. Like that's just not I mean, the university of Florida is the top five institution, right? Like we make all this buzz about how we're supposed to be this superior academic institution. And yet we can't realize that we only have, or, the, or that we have multiple guys with the same Jersey number on the field at once. Like we, I know we have, we're not teams. having enough men out there on a field goal block. Yeah, by had, three, not even, not even. I think they, I think they went eight. back and looked. I think they said there was nine. There originally there was. They, there, there were, and then they ran off because they didn't want another double jersey infraction. But they all ran off, so you go from ten down to eight. Right. I mean, if well, you're going to be gonna a, a game court. changer, it's kind of hard to do that at, with eight of your eleven available guys on there. Like that's if they're not. If they're not going to have a coordinator, they need a delegated coordinator on the field that says you have special teams. At, Correct. At, I, mean, I mean, like and that's fine. If yep. you don't want, if you don't want, if you want to go with this whole double offensive line coach thing and then have no special teams court, excuse me, on the field, then you better have a guy or a coach that says, "Okay, this is my unit. Get ready, punt team. Get ready, field goal team. Get ready." And you got you you are counting them up on the sideline. You are making sure your numbers are correct. Your personnel is set, and then boom, go like. It needs to be a well-oiled machine on the sideline, and it clearly was not, and and it cost Florida in this game dearly and could have cost Florida on the punt. I mean, let's say that like Utah got froggy there, realized what they had, and they could have faked it, and it could have been even worse or something. You know, like maybe they score a touchdown on a fake field goal. That would have just been icing on the cake for the night it, it, for special teams in that situation. Well, that's but. the other thing you just mentioned, Chris. Having this well-oiled machine, does that sound like something that's more likely to happen when you have a, I don't know, sort of so-called army of assistants, of staffers, of supporters, or just an ordinary amount of assistance on your staff? Is that something that seems more likely when you've got that army on your side or not? Because to me, I feel like if you're going to have this army, if you're going to put out that string of tweets when he first took the job, hey, everyone's this coordinator, this game changer coordinator, this you know speed coordinator, which you know, some of those I'm, I actually have seen results from. But if you're going to ha- make such a big deal of that, you've got to have the results that back that up. And to this point, we haven't seen it. If Napier... On it, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm going to guess a lot of the fan base feels this way too. If he hadn't made such a huge deal about that army of assistants and this was happening, honestly, it would be annoying, but I don't think the frustration would be to the degree it's at. I feel like that just adds an additional level to it. Well, what you're saying is fans love big words. They love shiny new objects, especially when it's the inverse of what the last regime was, right? The last regime was criticized for not having organization within its staff, within its ranks. It didn't have the support that it needed to get things done off the field. Well, this was a correction to that. And to a large degree, this army, quote unquote, has done a lot of great things off the field. 
to get this program back in the right in the right direction. But unfortunately, it's just not showing in the results on the field, which is what fans really care about. They want to see results on the field. And until they do, or some sort of improvement of some you know, kind, they're not going to be happy with, with what's happening. And they are going to hit you in every way they can, especially with a thing like that when you're talking about the quote-unquote army of assistance and it, it's got, they have to figure something out. They, I think that I think the biggest thing, and this is what I've gathered from a lot of people in the fan base is that they really just want to see maybe a little more self-awareness from coach Billy Napier and his staff. They feel like you're following a plan that they believe is going to work no matter what. So they're, they're following it blind, maybe not blindly, but they're just, they're continuing on and there may not be as many of adjustments quickly as what fans want to see. But then when they don't see the results on the field and that's when things start to get questioned and the, the, there's no sense of urgency from the staff. There wasn't a a sense of urgency in the play clock as it was rolling down. And we have these new clock rules. We have to contend with when we're down by two, three scores in a game against Utah on the road. There's no sense of urgency to correct maybe some weaknesses in the staff by having an on-field special teams coordinator, having somebody else call plays onto the field, maybe not two offensive line coaches or evaluating players quicker in the transfer portal so we can actually get them to campus and get them committed so that we can win more games earlier than later. And we don't have to wait four years to see some, you know, results from this. I think what fans are just, they really, what they want to see from Billy Napier is a sense of urgency that he's doing things in real time to change. So we don't have to wait four years for something to potentially happen. And I I, I think Florida is one of the most impatient fan bases in the country. He knew that taking the job. So he has to be ready to be able to make quick decisions to fix issues as they're coming. And right now, I think fans are just, they don't see that sense of urgency from him. Well, they don't. And I think they see things in some aspects getting worse because Dan Mullen was a great play caller for the Florida Gators. He was. There was, I guess you could point to the lack of urgency against Georgia in 2019. Um, against Alabama in 2021, you could say, yeah, they took their sweet time in those games and that hurt. But for the most part, Dan Mullen ran the offense the way that Gator fans could only dream of. Napier is a step backwards in that category. So they're seeing these results that are going the wrong direction. And because you can't just hire and fire staff one game into the season, can't just hire a new OC on September 4th. We as fans know that we're stuck with what we've got. And so we can only just pray that things get better with the personnel on the sideline that we have. Before we go any further, got to shout out our merch store. We've got new merch that is comfortable, lightweight for those hot summer days makes it clear to everyone you come across which team you pull for. From 100% polyester workout tees to soft-style cotton tees, sport tech polos, quarter zips, hoodies, beanies, baseball caps, trucker hats, koozies, tumblers, and more in all kinds of weather has just the gear you're looking for this football season. Our in all kinds of weather gear is sold in four colors, orange, blue, black, and white, and it all features that sleek new alligator logo that pays homage to all your favorite moments in Gator history. So don't wait. Get yours today. Go to inallkindsofweather.com slash merch to get yours now. That's inallkindsofweather.com slash merch. 
So yeah, merch is comfortable. I'm wearing it right now. It feels great. Definitely get yours ASAP so you can have it for the string of home games that are coming up for the Florida Gators. Hope to see you all in the swamp with that gear soon. Chris, uh, I mean, to the point that that we've been kind of repeatedly making over the last 10, 15, 20 minutes, we need to see some improvements. We need to see some things get better for the Florida Gators. We cannot see things continue on the trajectory on which they are currently on. So, I mean, that that leaves it, I guess, in your court. What do you think the Gators have to do moving forward specifically? I think that they have to not just say they're going to change, but we need to see action, actionable items from it. We need to see a little bit. I think we need to have play calling that everybody on the roster is comfortable with so that they can go out and they can execute it and they don't look like they don't know what they're doing. It needs to be simple all the way from the snap count with the offensive lines, so they're not jumping off sides in critical moments to receivers, making sure they run the right routes to running backs, making sure they know where they got to go block or they need to run the fall. It just has to be it, the play calling needs to fit the personnel and their their strengths. The second thing is, I just think they need to start. They need to continue to play the best man. And if that means certain upperclassmen get benched and they, we don't see them for the rest of the season, so be it. This is a rebuilding process still, and I would much rather suffer through the growing pains of freshmen and underclassmen than seeing upperclassmen make the same mistakes and not learn whatsoever. And I think that that's likely to continue to happen, but we need to see it more consistently. And the second is I need this coaching staff to just have more of a sense of urgency from Billy Napier. Like he better hang like almost a 70 burger on McNeese this weekend. Like that, that if he does that, I, that to me shows that he is at least listening to the fan base. Because the fan base wants to see the scoreboard lit up this Saturday. There's, it's going to be a very sparse crowd, probably. I think I think there'll be a decent showing. It'll be certainly higher than what Miami saw for their home opener against Miami of Ohio. But I think that go out there, hang at least 60 points on these guys, get ready for Tennessee, get hype, like show some emotion, show some excitement on the sideline during the game. I don't know. Like if, if you got to go chew a ref's ass out on the sideline because he made a bad call, do it. Like, you know, you remember uh, Neil back when in the LSU game in 2018 and it was during that timeout. And then Dan Mullen, all of a sudden out of nowhere, just sort of pumping the crowd up. He's jumping up and down like a maniac. His visor falls off. That was like peak Dan Mullen. Everybody loved Dan Mullen after that. Or when he was ready to fight Eli Drinkwitz on the sideline. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that the fans loved that. When Spurrier threw a visor, the fans loved that. When Ur- Urban Meyer used to do some of the same things, pumping the crowd up. Fans love a coach that is willing to go to war and do anything it takes to win. And look, if Billy Napier starts maybe just showing a little bit more emotion that he cares, he is like, I hear you. Okay. I feel your pain too. I don't like losing as much as you hate it. Okay. The, he understands what is on the hearts and minds of our fan base right now, and he shows it through action and emotion, then I think that he'll start winning the favor of the fan base back. 
even if the results on the field still don't match the expectations long-term of what the fan base wants. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it. The, the one thing I'll say to your first point about hanging a 70-burger on McNeese, that's not unrealistic because in their first game of the year, they played Tarleton State, who dropped 52 on them. So if Florida can't at least match that, all right. If they if they if they win forty nine to three and they're running the running the entire fourth quarter clock out and they don't score, all right, fine. You'd better at least come close to well, matching that. They beat 52. Eastern Washington fifty two seventeen last year, and Eastern Washington is a decent FCS team. Right, like they're so, actually they're a good FCS team. But like, all right. But so I'm saying, if Florida's winning thirty five nothing at halftime, and the second half Napier goes, well, we have a big game next week, so I don't want anyone to get hurt. So let's just run the clock out for the entire next thirty minutes, and they win forty nine seven. I mean, no one's going to care about that. It's like a, a twenty four to six, like we beat Toledo in Will Muschamp's third year. No, 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 no. Or what was no the team good. we played? Wasn't it like twenty three nothing? We beat Jacksonville. Jacksonville State. State we beat twenty. Well, hey, John we Bostic had a pick them. six in that game too. <laughs> yeah, Jelani Jenkins had a pick six in that. I mean, look, at least we didn't lose to Jacksonville State, which is like the only shade we can throw at FSU these days. But I mean, we can't have these sluggish just kind of slog our way through and win like a 31 to 17 type of game. No, this needs to be at minimum a 40 point beat down, preferably more than that. That's how bad McNeese is. They give up 52 to Tarleton state. Anyway, the, the more important point is to what you said. Yeah. He needs to show more emotion. He did kind of against Tennessee last year. I need to see him not only show that he hears our pain from a, a caring and emotion standpoint, from an execution standpoint, right? No more double jerseys. I can't believe I'm saying that, but you have to have someone on your army of assistants staff make sure that that doesn't happen. You can't call a screen pass on a football thrown five yards behind the line of scrimmage on a fourth and 14 with only two blockers in front and expect your guy to just run this gauntlet of defenders to somehow get 20 yards of real estate and get a first down. No more of these dumb shovel passes that, by the way, do not fool the defense. But if you're going to insist on doing that, you've got these two running backs in Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne If you're going to run that play call, why not at least put the football in the hands of a more proven runner who can use better field vision, who's better with ball security than a tight end is? Like, these are the things you got to start thinking about. You've got to understand that. I mean, I, I really I really hate going back to this, Chris, but the Sunbelt Billy calls from rivals, that's Sunbelt stuff. That stuff you get away with in the Sun Belt. You don't get away with that in the SEC. You didn't get away with it in the Pac-12. We just saw that. You've got to start showing, hey, I'm the head coach of the Florida Gators. Maybe I shouldn't try to outsmart myself anymore. Maybe these things that we're beating ourselves with have to stop. And maybe I should start putting things in place to make sure that they do. If he shows that against Tennessee and the Tennessee Vols just beat us because they're the better team, I'll be very unhappy. But I can live with that. I can I can tolerate it. If Florida goes out and they show this penchant for masochistic behavior again, they beat themselves, 
boy, you, you want to talk about that that seat temperature? That that's that's going to be a very unpleasant conversation to have after next weekend. He's got to show improvement in order for year three to get fans excited about year three, year four. Because look, and I hate to bring it up, but said it last night. Took Mike Norvell four years to get to where he is, and he was eight and thirteen after two years. Now I really hope to God Billy Napier doesn't have a losing record after year two at Florida, and right now he has a losing record. He's six and eight. And it would actually take him 23 consecutive wins to match Dan Mullen's start at the University of Florida. But look at that. It went a different direction after 29 and 8. It can go a different direction for Billy Napier starting 6 and 8. Case in point with Mike Norvell. It's gotten better. And Mike Norvell had to make adjustments. He he changed some staff members. He changed his approach in the transfer portal. And now he's starting to show some pretty big gains on the recruiting trail. As his, he has Florida State in the top 10 right now in recruiting. But... That just goes to show if you're patient with somebody, let them do their job, let them build. They can't get there, but you have to make adjustments along the way as he did. And in the case of Billy Napier, clearly he needs to make adjustments both in his in-game approach, potentially with staff, mem- his staff, you know, makeup. And then, as I mentioned, I think he needs to just start to feel a little bit more what the fan base is feeling because that's going to help help him buy support emotionally through the fan base to continue to support him, to believe in what he's saying, because I think it's been kind of a roller coaster ride. There's been a lot of peaks, a lot of valleys with Billy Napier. And every time there's like a, and that's why like, I, I feel like something good is actually coming just because the way things have gone with Billy Napier thus far. Like if you think back to last summer, how like we were at a low point when we were not doing well in recruiting. And then all of a sudden recruiting ticked up. And then earlier this year, and like it was like right around April, May, we were like, where are the recruits? Where are the recruits? And then all of a sudden, like this, it was an onslaught that one day in June when everybody came and visited in mid-June and we got like seven commitments in a weekend. And then now we're, yeah, I mean, Jubilee weekend. And now we're top three in the country in recruiting, second best in the SEC. Right now, it's at, it's one of those, it's one of those valleys again. We're, we're low on Napier. So that's what I'm thinking. Maybe in like two weeks. Just imagine if we go out, we beat Tennessee at home, we're three and one, we roll into Kentucky, and then we beat Kentucky for the first time since 2020 on the road. What that would do to the fan base's psyche. Then you're four and one, five and one, maybe Vanderbilt. Like things can change quickly here for Florida if they get their act together. This isn't the end of it. it but you have to remember, we started on the road for the first time since 1991. When we lost to Syracuse 38-21 in, in, the, in the Carrier Dome. Okay, It was a long time ago since we played a true opener on the road. Well, 2020. We, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was COVID. Okay, yeah. So non-com. I'm sorry, non-com. I should have specified non-com. No, no, I mean, nonetheless, it's, it's uncharted territory for sure. Yeah. And Utah is a defending Pac-12 champion, two-time defending Pac-12 champion, played in the Rose Bowl Back in January, this is a program whose head coach literally replaced Urban Meyer in 2005. This is an established program. He's entering his 19th season as head coach in Utah and Kyle Whittingham. I think we all said it was going to be a little bit of a slugfest. Like I I had Florida only winning by four points. And had Florida executed like they should have in the point in this game, it probably would have been right around there. It would have probably been a one-score game in Florida's favor, maybe. So it, it sucks. It sucks. Nobody loves losing. And... It just opened up a lot of wounds from last season, and you 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 look at Georgia; they just opened up as the 
number one team in the country. They're going for a three-peat. You look at FSU right now. They seem to finally have turned the corner, and they're a national title contender this year. You look at Tennessee. Tennessee is lighting the scoreboard up every weekend. They look exciting whether they're winning every game or not. Florida fans are just growing antsy because they're seeing their rivals succeed. And the only way to do that, to, to stop that, is to close on this strong recruiting class you have, show some improvement in on-field play, and continue to build for the future. But if we if we continue to remain impatient, things can change too. And and we saw what happened when the fan base grew impatient with Dan Mullen and Jim McElwain and Will Muschamp. You, we, we're on our fourth coach in twelve years. We, something's got to change. And the only the only thing that I, I I put a lot of onus on the staff here. They've got to do stuff, but. We also have to remain a little bit patient, and we can't have these week one overreactions that I think are just silly. Right, but here's the thing. I'm going to restate what you just said, but with a different a different thesis to it. You're right that, that Billy Napier does need time. He deserves patience. He deserves a fair opportunity to do what he was hired to do at the University of Florida. And I am the one that put that tweet out on Sunday night that said, look, Mike Norvell – after two years, wasn't looking so good. Fast forward to the beginning of year four, and oh my God, FSU is a national title contender. He needed time. He got it. He made adjustments, and now the Seminoles are on top of the world. So Billy Napier right now, currently in a rut. As you said, he's in a valley. Things aren't looking so good because losing record last year, lose your opener this year, now you're looking at a huge game against Tennessee that if – I mean, I, I hate to even think about, it, but if you lose that game, you're you're really staring back to back losing season square in the face. But Billy Napier is still a young head coach. He's in his second year at the University of Florida. He's in his sixth year overall as a head coach of a college football program. I do believe that if he gets the time, he's going to make adjustments. He's going to fix things that have been plaguing the Gators so far. And he will ultimately see success. But here is the caveat that I was not going to insert last year because I gave him a pass last year. This year is different. That that pass we gave him, no, that that's gone. We're done with that. It matters now. We can't just shrug off losses as well. Yeah, growing pains, you know, gonna no, 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 no. We gotta see some light bulbs flickering on. We've got to see some gears turning in Billy Napier's head. These losses matter and we have got to see him start taking action based upon those results we can no longer sit back and just blindly trust him to make these fixes because honestly i would have thought that after last year he would make some changes or or if he didn't that he would have gone to the equivalent of play calling school and just been better at it this year well that didn't happen so now what we need to see in order for me to continue on with this mindset of trust Napier, he's going to get it right. Yeah, I'll still keep saying that, but now I demand in return, we see some progress. I'm not asking for a national title. I'm not asking for an East title. I'm not even asking for a New Year's Six Bowl. I'm not even asking for nine and three. I need to see progress. I need to see improvement. I need to see more gears turning with the play calling, less how do I say this nicely, Chris? Uh, stupidity, where you have two guys with the same jersey running out there? No, no more of that. I need to see improvement in the execution department from various Gators across the board. 
And I need to see a coaching staff that is showing signs of learning on the job. We say that about new coaches. They're learning on the job. They're learning. They're young. They're learning. I need to see that. I need to see the learning taking place. And then it's going to be a lot easier for me to defend him and you to defend him. Because if he keeps showing us results like these, we're going to be in this exact same position at the end of the year and the start of next year. And we're not going to have a leg to stand on here. Yep. No, I agree. I think the, I think the theme of the pod is we need Billy Napier to feel our pain and we'll just have to see what happens from there. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show with our grades here and Neil and I will give our grades, but I want to, we put out a tweet before the show It we turn it to you guys. Give us your post game grades for the first game of the season. Ask you to rate offense, defense, special teams, coaching, and kind of a response. So I'm going to go ahead and read a couple of these off here, and we'll continue to do this, make the show a lot more interactive for our fans. But David Biddle, he had offense as a D, too many penalties, couldn't run the ball. Defense, B minus, improved. Uh, at least they know how to tackle. Special teams, F, it was horrendous. Coaching, F, poor play calling, poor clock management, poor preparation, allowed too many unforced errors. Preston Holland, offense, C minus. Quarterback and receiver get a B, but the O-line and running backs get a D minus. Uh, defense B got to stop the running quarterbacks exclamation point uh, special teams F minus. Is there such a thing worse than an F than that uh, coaching D plus clock management, sloppy plays with Adam Smith offense. Got a D old line was putrid. Couldn't run only 11 points defense B minus outside of the first play. The defense played pretty well and should have only allowed a total of 17 points special teams. F doesn't get much worse than what we saw Thursday night. Coaching D minus could it make could make an argument for an F. Uh, we got David Street seventeen offense D. We move the ball at time to merch looks solid, but O line run game and third downs must improve. Defense B minus. We often looked lost in coverage, but tackling was excellent. Special teams F. No explanation needed. Coaching D minus. Team was sloppy. We had Anthony, uh, the Red Raider Gator. Uh, he gave the offense a C plus, the defense a B. Special teams and coaching both Fs. Said the offense moved the ball, but penalties and mistakes kept us from scoring. Defense played solid, but Utah could have scored on a few more plays. Special teams was horrendous, specifically the bad punt and fielding and the coaching dot, dot, dot. And let's read one more here. All right, we'll go with uh, 2K will be... Offense, D+, plus. the penalties really shot us in the foot all game. Defense, B, they had a couple of low lights, no doubt, but they actually played a really solid game against a very good Utah team. Special teams, I don't know. I don't know enough about how special teams works to grade them. Uh, we'll fill in the blank, probably a failing grade just like everybody else. Coaching, C-. minus. So thanks to all the fans out there that uh, – Put those in there. We're I'm sorry. Someone gave coaching a C minus a passing grade. Neil, we're not going to. We're not going to. <laughs> we're going to thank. We're going to fake. We are going to thank the fans for giving okay. us their opinions. I think there is a there is a common theme though as you go through these. Defense gets almost a failing grade. I'm sorry. Offense almost gets a failing grade. Defense by far was the best unit. A B to B minus. Special teams for the most part got all F's from. Most fans, some did give him D, no higher than a C minus. Coaching got no higher really than a D or that one. C, I think that one C plus. C I respect minus. your opinion. 
Yep. I'm just going to give my own very different one in a minute. We will. Yep. We look forward <laughs> to that. Uh, but yeah, no. So, I mean, thanks guys for, for bringing these in. We'll continue to do this. And, uh, you know, like I said, please continue to, to drop them your opinions. We'll read them on the show. Make sure you like the episode down below and uh, subscribe to the show. I mean, it helps us continue to grow and, and reach a wider audience so we can continue to do all these fun things. So Neil, the floor is yours. Let us know your grades for offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. I mean, I feel like for the offense, I have to divide it into red zone offense and non-red zone offense because the red zone offense was was just awful. But between the 20s, the Gators actually moved the ball quite well. In fact, Graham Mertz directed a 98-yard touchdown drive. So I feel like that has to count for something. But the failures in the red zone do hurt. So I'm going to say that this is a, a C, a solid C. It, it's a passing grade, but it's not a particularly impressive one. But you can you can get by with a C and just move on to your next course, your next test or whatever, um, and, and count it as a, as a W. So they get a C. Defense is going to get a B minus. The first play of the game really killed them. And, and then Princely, I mean, that that just doesn't sit right with me. Like, you're on scholarship at the University of Florida. You've got that number one jersey. You're anointed as the leader of the defense. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go to the game tape. It's it's time-stamped at about eight minutes to go in the second quarter. The touchdown run by their backup quarterback, Nate Johnson, where he's just jogging like just – like in like an elderly person in the park. That's how that's the only way I can think to describe it. He's clearly not giving 100% effort. And for that to be the the image that the leader of the defense gives just it, it isn't right. So that that really stings. But by and large the defense did play well. Shamar James did a lot of good things. Jordan Castell put some good tape on there. Devin Moore as you mentioned a lot to like there. Um TJ Searcy had his name in the box score, also was around the field a lot. I saw close to the ball when he didn't have statistics, when he wasn't making tackles. So I liked all that. I'm going to get the defensive B- minus because they did play well enough to win the game. Special teams, F, hashtag that F. It is the F that is, if you're not familiar with our show, we kind of divide F grades into two different sub grades. There's an F where it's like a 55 out of 100 or a 50 out of 100 where you, you failed, but it's at least semi-respectable and you could work your way back into good graces eventually and pass the course versus like a two or a, a four out of a hundred grade where you get like one out of a hundred questions, right. And maybe partial credit on some other answer. If you're thinking back to your college days, this, this is that F this is that one. Jeremy Crawshaw game in game out has been one of the more consistent players on the university of Florida. He didn't have a good game. That's how, that's how you know this is bad. He shanked a punt, gave Utah great field position. I think it was off the side of his foot. What was it, like a 20-yard punt or so? Uh, Mahalik missing a field goal from inside of 35 yards again. Y- you can't have that. You just can't have that. And then I don't even know whether to to call the, the double number three penalty uh, a coaching error or a special teams error, but because it feels like a combination of both, I'm going to assign the to both of those categories and penalize them both for it. Cause that's just unacceptable. You can't have that happen. Obviously you gave Utah first down in which they scored a touchdown on that drive. Just, I mean, it was just absolutely nightmarish of a performance for the Gators. Mahalik made one field goal of his two. So I guess they get a few points for that, but it's a single digit out of hundred F grade and coaching F that F again, same reason we, we've, we've beaten them all to death. But the Gators lost this game because of coaching. 
They did not lose this game because of the way they executed on offense or defense. You can talk about the false stars by Damian George. Both of those hurt. They're not why Florida lost. They still move the ball up and down the field. And you'd like to think if Mahalik makes that field goal, the second one, and you don't give Utah a free first down because you don't know how to determine which guys are on the field at once and lead the seven points for them. It's a very different game at the end. And Florida's not playing from behind. And that last drive is probably called differently or well, with the way Florida called it, maybe not, but the point being Florida's only down one score. And if they score on that last possession, we might have overtime. So that's not what happened because coaching hurt us. So Chris, Sorry, man. I, I, I'm the one that that always gives the harshest grades, but that's. I mean, can you can you debate the point? Like that's just as awful of a coaching performance as I've seen in a long time. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Actually, I think our grades are actually pretty far, uh, pretty closely aligned here, and maybe the, one of the few times this uh, this season or in the past. But uh, I'll start with the offense. I'll say they get a C minus for me. I think, as you said, that the the red zone is what really killed them, and ultimately, the only thing offense's job is to do is to score points and they really fail to do that five times inside the 25 yard line only 11 points it's just completely unacceptable and uh, you know some of that can be attributed to poor play calling bad execution but whatever it is they didn't get the job done and for that they get a c minus for me defense they get a b I, i i really was impressed with the improvements especially in the tackling as a lot of our fans talked about the tackling was much better secondary still suspect for me especially the back end of the safeties something to watch moving forward but thought the defensive line got a really good push looking forward to that pass rush improving actually getting to the quarterback especially for quarterbacks that like to sit in the pocket but overall they really buckled down after the big play early and there weren't a lot of big plays explosives given up after that so for me i do think they get a b and they kept the they kept us in the game if the offense have done their job we could have won this game because of the defensive effort so b for them special teams that f it was bad there, there, there there's no objective way you could look at this and say that did they even get a passing grade it special team if you take you if you actually take away the false star penalties and the bad play calling, there's still a world which Florida wins this game if the special team blunders don't happen. Like if you don't miss the chip shot field goal, if you don't field punts inside the 10 yard line, if you don't have the 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 jersey thing, Florida probably can win this game if those things don't happen just with that. And don't even forget about the procedural penalties with the false starts. C uh, and then for coaching, I'm gonna go with an F, that F. It was the worst coach game in Billy Napier's career at the University of Florida. They just they didn't look prepared. And there's a lot of soul searching for this coaching staff for this next week, two weeks before they play Tennessee, a big matchup in the swamp. They can turn. I'm telling you, like the perception of this program could turn night and day if they beat Tennessee in two weeks. Like I will contend that is the biggest game of Billy Napier's coaching career yet. It's the season. Tennessee it's, is the season. Tennessee is the most important game on the schedule. You win that game, it completely changes the trajectory of the season and the outlook moving forward for Billy Napier. You lose that game, you start one and two, potentially two and three if you then lose to Kentucky on the road. And at that point, you're fighting for a bowl game to finish the season out because the back half of the schedule is daunting. It is difficult. So for this game, though, the worst coach game yet in the Billy Napier era. Unfortunately, they get an F. 
Neil, final thoughts before we wrap up the show here. And it's been, oh, I think, a good conversation on where we need to go and what we need to see moving forward. We're putting this game behind us. We're moving forward. But just kind of give me your final thoughts. I mean, there, there were so many things wrong in this game that we didn't even have time to discuss a lot of them at length. But how do you only line up for a field goal block with eight of 11 guys? I mean, how how do you how does that not get fixed in the the four months of offseason practice in spring and summer ball that you have? How do you not have those drills where you sprint your field goal block team onto the field? How do you yeah. not have someone maybe in your ear about that? Hey, yeah, let's not get that double jersey penalty again. But oh, we only have eight guys on there. How do we not get the other three? Like that. These kinds of things have to get fixed. And Napier, my worry is that Napier just has so much on his plate that he's not going to fix it this year. He can't just fire assistance after one week. He can't just start messing around with his staff's responsibilities and go to one of his two offensive line coaches and go, hey, you know, you're the special teams coordinator. No, you can't do that. That's not what they're on staff for. You can't find a replacement for a real special teams coordinator now midseason, we've got what we've got for the rest of the year. The staff we've got is what we we're going to have to deal with. And I'm afraid that if Napier doesn't hand off the play calling duties, I'm afraid that if Napier doesn't have someone, as you suggested, be the guy that yells punt team ready, punt team ready, or a field goal ready, field goal ready, field goal block ready, field goal block ready. Hey, wait a minute. No, 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 Drew Wills, Trey, 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 no, you have number three. Got to switch a jersey. If he doesn't have someone on that at all times, Chris, I mean, I feel like a bowl game is out of reach. We'll see. And clearly some soul searching needs to be had. Billy Napier needs to start feeling the pain of this fan base. A sense of urgency must be had if Florida is to show progress here in year two. So with that, thank you, Neil. Thank you all for those that are listening. Once again, please, if you liked what you heard today, hit that like button, leave a comment to tell us how we did. Make sure to subscribe to our show. And we thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. Tune in later this week as we will get ready for the McNeese state game and we are excited to be back in the swamp this saturday night at seven o'clock thanks and have a great day gator nation